another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop from the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald, my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will, I've been painting all day, so if I say anything crazy on the podcast today, blame the fumes. It was not me. <laughs> I always blame the fumes with you, Tony, <laughs> yeah, so that's thank fine. you. <laughs> He's a former Sacramento King head coach, GM and color analyst, GM of a WNBA champion, Indian and Basketball Hall of Famer. It's the true pride of French League himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, an absolute pleasure to have you. How's it going? Well, uh, pretty good. You know, I spent uh, most of the morning uh, out furniture shopping with Mrs. Reynolds, so... Uh, <laughs> If I start fuming, that would be why. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, uh, we are back and we are ready to break down uh, the worst or at least most the most frustrating stretch of Kings basketball since the Kings returned to respectability last season. Um, I'll break it down really quick, just so that way audience has an overview of where we're coming from. Um, since last we spoke, the Kings started strong. They beat a good Orlando Magic team in overtime. Um, they followed that up with a win against the Raptors. Uh, they once again lost to the Pelicans, who at this point you just have to they, – they have the Kings number. Um, uh, they took care of business against the Pistons after a really, really ugly start that we'll get into. And uh, then they avenged their loss to Charlotte uh, – the, that, that loss at, uh, to Charlotte at home with a win again uh, against the Hornets on the road. And then there was a 19-point loss to Philly without Joel Embiid. There was a dame-time heartbreaker in Milwaukee in overtime. There was a historic fourth quarter collapse in Phoenix and then a very frustrating loss at home to a Pacer squad that was uh, missing our old friend Tyrese Halliburton. The Kings have found a way to lose in every single way possible. They're like a four quadrant, like different types of losses all the way through uh, the, the last couple of weeks. So we're going to uh, we're going to go over some of those in detail later. But uh, I want to start with Jerry and Tony. Spell it out for me. Is there something wrong with the Sacramento Kings right now or are we just going through a rough stretch? Well, I mean, uh, I think there's something wrong. I mean, they're, they're clearly not playing at the level. I mean, I guess in a nutshell, I'd say they aren't who we thought they were. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, some of the losses are, are just inexplicable. Uh, obviously, they played great basketball in stretches, uh, and they played just off basketball in stretches, and, and that just isn't. Uh, acceptable uh, going forward if in fact you think you're a playoff contender of any level yeah to me there's definitely a problem considering the goal is is probably I'm assuming the goal is to be better than they were last year and I don't even mean record I just mean like is this team going to have a first round playoff exit again and I would say right now I would predict exactly that like this is a first round exit in the playoffs team to me. And to me, that's a problem because they haven't really gotten any better from how they finished last year. But I do think this season, th their record to me is, is coming back down to earth more than it's like a new downward trend. We've talked about their point differential. It's kind of been about even all year. Their record to me was a little bit inflated. And now what you're seeing is the point differential is still where it was all year, you know, right around a middle of the road team. And their record is starting to reflect that they're a middle-of-the-road Western Conference team. So I, I kind of think this is who's the, who they are, and that is a problem. 
Jerry, I'm curious. Is this a is this a squad that last year was a little overinflated due to record and NBA, you know, Western Conference injuries and whatnot, and now they are like Tony said, coming back down to earth, or is this a squad that is struggling to live up to the standards that they set for themselves, or like where they should be, and they're just failing right now to live up to that? You know, I that's a great question. I mean, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. You know, I think the expectations certainly is part of it. Uh, but I also think the opposition is a big part of it. I think just about every team in the West got better. And I, and I, I mean, the feeling that we all had probably at the start of the year that the Kings got better, but they really didn't. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Sasha really hasn't been what we thought he might be. It's not saying he won't be at some point, but, uh, but when you look at the West, it just seems to me, and you look at the talent in the West, now their teams are healthy. And that was the main thing last year. The Kings were healthy while just about everybody else wasn't. And uh, so I think that's that's part of it. And, you know, the uh, the team themselves, I think, put some unreal expectations out there. Like, you know, and I, I kind of get Coach Brown. I don't know that he needed to say it, though. You know, we're, we're playing for a championship. Well, no, you really weren't. Uh, you know, uh, and so I think for probably not King's Herald people, but a lot of fans, you know, kind of uh, get carried away with that sort of thing. And and then so it, it creates another little, you know, little issue. So it's a combination of a lot of things. But uh, I think the biggest thing is, to me, the talent level is not quite, uh, isn't improved per se. A couple of guys are playing better than they did last year. A couple are playing about the same, uh, but the bench seems worse. And uh, then you got a couple of veterans. You know, Herder overall has been behind his uh, production last year, and, and Barnes. So that's you. You know, basically that's why they're where they are. We're we're essentially halfway through the season, uh, Jerry. You brought up something that uh, that kind of jogged my mind here. Is it too early to say that the Kings staying pat this last off season was a mistake? Is it too early to say that now at at the halfway mark? I don't believe it is. Uh, I, I would have said that three weeks ago, maybe or four weeks ago, because I still, you know, was like everybody. I'm a, was hoping that things would come together a little better. You know, I think the chemistry is still good. I mean, I think guys like one another, but but I do think that uh, what the Kings do is is been scouted better. Uh, I think that's also a, a factor, and I think you know by stay say standing pat and, and adding very little talent, then uh, you know being scouted better takes something away. It doesn't add something, and so that's made it a little tougher. I always say I I think the thing the one thing I've noticed the most. Uh, you know, is that they just don't get the easy transition baskets after made baskets that they got last year, near nearly as much. So, and and so that, so you got to make up for it some way. And that means better half court play, which they haven't had better half court play. Tony, from a, from a fan's perspective, is it too early to say that the Kings uh, standing pat in the offseason was a mistake? Uh, it might be too early only because I just think of the season a little bit differently. Like if they stand pat through the deadline, then that's where I can say, all right, you've made a mistake because you failed to upgrade your playoff roster. But if you're Monty McNair and you're going through the summer and you don't like what's available there, 
and you tell yourself, all right, well, I have till the deadline to fix this and things will materialize over the course of a season. Players you don't know are available will become available because teams are doing better or worse than they thought they would do. Then that's kind of like where I'm drawing the line. So we have until February 8th, the trade deadline to to say if he stood pat or not, because I do think they will make a, a move. Um, I hope they do. And if they do, it will likely be for something that they couldn't have done if they had done something in the offseason, or at the very least, you it could be that case that could be the case where if they did something this summer, then they would uh stop them from doing whatever they do at the deadline. So uh, maybe I'm giving I'm being a little bit too charitable to McNair, but I kind of view the deadline as the cutoff point to standing pat for a season. Hey, uh, I would say too, uh, that's a great point by Tony, because what a lot of teams do when you're starting a season, everybody thinks they're better than they are. They're everybody's gonna be 82 and 0. And every move they've made and, and all that. But by midseason, some of the teams that had a higher value placed on certain guys that, that maybe Monty Mayer wanted uh, are a little more available today. And so uh, I always think that's that has always been the case, by the way. But it, I think that sometimes we forget that. There are 17 days till the trade deadline. Um, with this recent stretch, do you think the front office feels the pressure to make a move? Do they need to make a move, Jerry? You know, if I was, if it was me, I, I would say yes. I mean, I'd feel like so. I mean, because just looking, you know, as, as we just discussed, I mean, if you're looking at how the trend is going with the West and the Kings and the wind margin, all that, you can see as currently constructed, this team might slip to play in status. And, uh, and so, and certainly as, as I agree with Tony as right now, you just wouldn't feel very comfortable with a chance to win a playoff series at all. And, and so that's, you know, that's a goal, uh, you know, you may not be able to achieve it, but that's, that's a legitimate goal as it should be. So I just think you've got to, and it would take a good trade. Don't get me wrong. I don't know that Monty can make that. I, you know, you can't make trades if nobody wants to give you what you want. But uh, this is a, a little bit of a mismatched roster, I think. Tony, is this a is this a moment where the front office should feel pressure to make a move? That's a tough one because I, as a fan, I want them to make a move and make this team better. I also don't want them to do anything stupid because I'm going to be here longer <laughs> than Monty McNair will be here. You know, like if Monty McNair trades three first round picks for Jeremy Grant and it's there, you know, they end up being very good picks on one hand. You know, I, I think Jeremy Grant would solve a lot of problems for the roster. On the other hand, you're giving away three picks. and If it doesn't work, then you're screwed for a really long time. So I don't want. I don't like when GMs make moves out of desperation to save jobs. And thankfully, I don't think McNair is in that position. So it's I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I I want them to make a move to save this season. But this season is not so important to me that I want them to make a move that would heavily jeopardize their future. And if like this is where I'm starting to come to terms with maybe this season has to be a failure. And by failure, I mean first round exit because a move isn't there. And maybe I'll be wrong, but that's just kind of how I'm feeling when I look at their assets and like the what it took to get Siakam and what it took to get Ananobi. I don't know that the Kings have what it takes unless they blast through all their draft picks to really get a difference maker. So you you might just be facing a, a failure of a season and McNair has probably earned one more of those because he had a good year last year. But then, you know, the pressure, the pressure is really on the front office, I think, next year if this season does kind of go the way that it seems to be going. But there definitely is time to to kind of turn it around. So 
the next few weeks will be very interesting. Well, that's uh, you know that's something I I definitely agree with uh, Tony on that. I mean, I, I'd hate to see them uh, just throw all their chips on the table, and uh, you know basically risk the future. I mean, now if you you know if you could get a, a a true difference maker, that's one thing. But the guys being discussed aren't aren't that. They never have been. Uh, you know, their additions, and I guess my approach probably would be try to get somebody that's going to help you and fit what you got and make you better, but not not tear up your future. And I mean, you know, I just was reading the Herald and, and getting some opinions, you know, uh, but guys like Herb Jones, uh, you know, if he's available, mm -hmm. you know, a guy like Jalen Smith from the Pacers, I think would be a perfect fit, you know, and they got by getting Siakam, they've got too many guys to play, you know, with Toppin and, you know, a whole bunch of guys, you might be able to get him, you know, at a reasonable rate and he's young. And so, you know, just try to get ahead of the curve. Don't make the curve, I guess is what I'm saying. So Jerry, are you then in favor of more of a, I don't want to call him a fringe move necessarily, but more of the Bruce Brown, Herb Jones, Matisse Thibel type trades? over something like swinging for a Kyle Kuzma, a Zach Levine, or a Jeremy Grant? Yes. Yes, I am. I I think there's a lot more risk with those guys. I mean, they got, you know, they got big, bigger stats and all that. But uh, I, I just like the idea of guys you feel like would come in and make you better and certainly uh, likely make you better for the future. They might not be the end, but then you still have a chance, you know, going forward to, to make better deals. But uh, yeah, I like, I like that. I, I mean, I, I mean, I like Grant, I like Kuzma to some degree, Levine, you know, they're more talented, but they're also more baggage yeah. and more risks. And uh, you know, I, I, I just don't feel that uh, wouldn't feel that froggy right now. I, I like the idea of, you know, with Sabonis and Fox, uh, Keegan Murray, you've got uh, and Monk, I think you've got four guys, that you can re reasonably feel very comfortable building around and you need to add to them. Uh, and you'd like to get somebody better than any of them, but the truth is you don't have the assets to do that. So, so anyway, I guess I'm rambling here, but I, I like the Thibels. I like guys that you think you could plug in and be a value in areas where you're weak. And, you know, Herb Jones, that's why I like him. I, I think, you know, and I think he can score enough, you know, and you can play him at a couple of spots. Bruce Brown, I mean, guy's a, a player. He's a dog, you know, on a dogless team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and so so that sort of thing. And, of course, like say Jalen Smith, to me, it's just like a perfect young athlete ready to bust out. Uh, it's risky. You know, my – as you guys heard me, you know, beg for Bobby Portis a few years ago or Nas Reed. And I, I think this is the same kind of guy, maybe even more potential. So, so anyway, I'm through. That's it for me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back. Now, um, uh, Tony, what, what about you? Uh, are you somebody who feels like the Kings could get away with trading for a Doug Christie rather than a Chris Webber? Or is this something that the Kings need to make a more sizable move in order to move the needle this year and create some a little bit more fan uh, kumbaya right now? 
I, I could go either way, depending on what the deal actually looks like. Like if, if Kyle Kuzma is very cheap, just way cheaper than we think, because of course, Washington is going to float that it's going to take a lot to get Kuzma. But what do the conversations actually look like? I don't know. If Kuzma's one pick and contracts matching, then sure, I'd, I'd take Kuzma. Same with Grant. If you if you can get Grant for, you know, maybe two protected picks and a swap and just Barnes to match contracts, then I'm very interested in those moves. Isaiah Stewart's another name I'll throw out there. Like a guy who's young and kind of maybe on the cusp of doing something more and he can work into your future long term. So I'm not shutting out any type of trade. It just depends on what the cost is. But I, I definitely don't want to make any panic moves for an eight seed is kind of how I'm looking at it. If this was a, a three seed like last year, a two seed, you're close. You know, you can go go all in and you might win a championship. To me, at eight and falling, this is not an all-in team. It's got to be something that can help you well into the future and also not, you know, mortgage all of your future assets either. That's why I think not trading Keegan is the right move. This is not... You're not going all in on this roster. You've got to keep Keegan because you're building something more long-term than this playoff run. What's the uh, what's the response uh, from the fan base or, or from you two in general if the Kings just take the L, they didn't find the right trade partner, and they do they pull the Money McNair special at the trade deadline and kick the <laughs> roster improvement can down the road towards the offseason? What's the response from you guys if the Kings wind up uh, fundamentally the same team after the trade deadline passes? Well, for me, I, I, I trust Monty McNair. You know, I mean, I think if he doesn't do a deal, it's because he doesn't have a deal that's good enough to 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 do. And I mean, and that really is kind of like what Tony's talking about with a Kuzma or somebody else. Uh, if you can get the right kind of deal, but my opinion is you probably can't. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah, would you like to have Kuzma for Davion Mitchell? Sure. Uh, well, you can't do that deal. So, uh, I mean, so, so there's that. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, I think if there's not a deal done, it's because Monty doesn't feel like that, that it's a deal that will make the team better to speak of, you know, rest of the year or in the future. And, and so I, I, I'll, I'll give him a pass, you know, I'll give him a pass. I think he's earned that. And, and you just can't know what deals are out there. You know, I know, it's always speculation. You got, I, I go on the internet like everybody else and, and the Kings could get this guy or that guy and blah, 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 or this trade. And uh, so, so uh, no, yeah, as a, as a fan of the team and of Monty McNair, uh, you know, if there's, you know, nothing done then there's nothing done, then, then I would probably just take a step further than, okay, and with the roster you've got, I'd kind of like to see some changes in how you play, <laughs> you know, so because sure. you because, you know, how you're going probably isn't good enough. Sure. Tony, what about you? How do you feel about it if the Kings uh, decide to just move this to the offseason? I wouldn't be happy, but I also uh, I, I don't think you're, you're going to see too many people calling for McNair's job. So that's why I think this is like a route we could see, because I don't think his job is on the line. I do think the leash gets very short from the fan perspective. And maybe Vivek is totally on board and it's all fine and he'll be the GM for five years. And Monty McNair can deal with the, the pressure on Twitter or or fans being upset because fans will be upset if he does nothing. They will be upset. And the one pushback I'll put on Monty McNair if he does nothing and he goes at the deadline, he goes, does his press conference and says there was no good trades out there. My counter to that, and I think this is a fair counter, is... He's been the GM for how long now? Three years, four years? He's had plenty of time to 
get this team more assets that are more appealing in trades. And I think right now their biggest problem is they don't have good young players that aren't essential to their rotation to trade. And to me, that's on Monty. So even if he does nothing, it's still kind of on him because you missed on the Davion Mitchell pick. He doesn't have a lot of value right now. You basically traded away your pick last year. Uh, Omax, who maybe he'll be good, maybe he's not, but you could have drafted someone there that might have been appealing to another team. Uh, you don't have your pick because of the Herder trade, which I thought was a good trade, but still. Monty McNair, to some degree, the extent of his inability to make a trade is on him for not having these assets that are appealing to other teams that are able to make a trade. So I do think, you know, his job is not on the line if he does nothing. That's all fine. But I do think the leash is getting shorter for him and he's got to he's got to do something, whether it's get more assets that he can trade for good players or actually pull the trigger on some of those moves because you can't stand pad forever. And I think the fan base, if you, you know, I'm not as plugged in as I used to be with how the fans are feeling, but I know they're not happy with how the team is playing. And McNair has kind of rested on standing pat a few times now. So it's not going to go over well for as secure as his job is. People will not be happy. Jerry, I'm curious. Uh, Tony mentioned a little bit earlier that like he he is fine not trading Keegan Murray, that this is not a season to trade Keegan Murray and go all the way in. Outside of Fox and Sabonis, and maybe you're different on Keegan, uh, but I assume Keegan is one of those guys that's kind of untradeable this year. Are there any other players that you look at on this Kings roster and go, I wouldn't include him in a deal? Is Malik Monk on you know an expiring contract? worth swapping if you end up with a Zach Levine or something like that? Are there other players that you wouldn't trade this season outside of Fox and Sabonis and maybe Keegan? Well, there's, there's four guys that I've said before that I think you should keep and Monk is one of those. The other three, I, I just think it'd be ridiculous. Uh, you know, but you know, sure. If you can uh, go get uh, the Joker for Sabonis and I do that, uh, you know, uh, or, or EMB, but there's not very many it's a very 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 small group uh and, and same way with fox and as far as keegan uh, you just can't trade keegan good grief this kid is is getting better and better and you know if you trade him then you know it's, it's a little bit like halliburton i mean you're trading a, a, a star in the making i mean now the the halliburton thing made sense it still does uh, but but that's you know in my mind unless you get a, a major star back you know which like Sabonis is and has been uh, for Keegan the, you know why would you consider it you know that that's all I'd say yeah if you get uh, maybe you could get Jason Tatum or something yeah you probably do that he's young enough and of course the Celtics wouldn't do that but so anyway I, I just. No, leave Keegan alone. God, don't don't even mention it. Leave him alone. We can blame Tony for that one. I wasn't going to mention it, but Tony brought it up. I said leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, no, you did. You did. <laughs> okay, so we'll roll on a little bit here. Um, I, I want to talk about, uh, before we get into these kind of ugly games that we've witnessed in the last few weeks, uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, about De'Aaron Fox. Um, Fox, since January 3rd, he's averaging 21.9 points per game, 4.8 assists, 2.6 rebounds. He's shooting 42% from the field, still shooting 39.3% from deep in the, in the time since last we talked. Kings have gone four and six in those games. Uh, what's wrong with De'Aaron Fox? Is Do you guys feel like this is a, an undisclosed injury? Do you feel like this is just a lull in the season? Has he has he hit a wall where he went from averaging 30 to averaging now just above 20? Is this something that's fixable, or are we seeing Fox settle more into where his role is going to be for the rest of the season? 
Well, I, I certainly hope not. I, I hope he's not settling into, because this is not a big enough role the way he's been playing. This team needs him to be the Fox of that we've seen most of last year and early this season. And it does seem to me like uh, he may be harboring some aches and pains, which wouldn't be unusual. I mean, not uh, injuries to keep you from playing, but maybe bother you from playing at your best. I, I see that a little disengagement at times. Uh, the fact that he is settling for more threes than maybe I wish he would even though he's doing very well at it. I mean, we're not seeing the, uh, you know, getting to that automatic 15-foot shot, 12, 15-foot shot nearly as much, which uh, opens up things for other guys as well. So, uh, yeah, he's not, you know, he's not the same fox. You know, we, so we don't, you know, you can't know what you don't know. But I, I do think maybe, you know, that he's, uh, you know, he just simply might be nursing some minor injuries. And anybody that's ever played sports knows if you've got a sore back or arm, you might still play, but it, you, it it's hard to play as well. Tony, what have you seen from Fox since uh, January 3rd? Yeah, what Jerry said is kind of what I've seen just watching the games too. I can't pinpoint exactly what the injury is, but a few games uh, over the last few weeks, you've seen him, like I've had this moment where I see him limping on something, I'm like, oh shit, Fox is hurt. Or I see him grabbing his wrists and I'm like, oh shit, Fox is hurt. So I don't, I don't know, there might be many lingering things there and that could be a reason why his numbers are, are, are have been down the last couple of weeks. I also think this is just what your team looks like when you only have an all-star scoring guard instead of the MVP level scoring guard we saw earlier in the season. So I think we were having, you know, MVP conversations about Fox all year until this podcast where now he's looking just, you know, <laughs> your run of the mill all-star, which is still a very, very good player, but he has not been playing at the MVP caliber that we were talking about earlier in the year. So whether that's an injury or just, you know, it's hard to sustain that level of play all year. Only a few guys do that who end up in the real MVP conversation when the season is over. Um, and if Fox isn't an MVP, that's okay. He's still very good and an important part of this team. So whatever it is, injury or just him kind of falling back down to all-star level from MVP level. Um, I don't think he's the problem. So I'm inclined to just let him play it out and see if he can get healthy or just improve. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that where I kind of noticed, and I, and I, I think he's probably banged up a little yeah. is on the defensive side. And, yes. you know, I mean, just the last game, TJ McConnell, I love him as a backup guy, <laughs> but, but he really isn't to Steve Nash or John Stockton. And, yeah. and, and uh, I thought his getting by, I mean, Fox couldn't stay in front of me. And, and I just believe, you know, he, you know, that that's something that shouldn't happen, no. uh, you know, with a healthy Fox at his best. So, you know, we'll see, but I'm with Tony, you know, you, he's, he's terrific player. The best is ahead for him and uh, going through, going through a little downtime. Let's put it, uh, I think, give him a, give him a little slack. Uh, somebody who's directly affected by Fox going through a little downtime is Malik Monk, who, um, since last we spoke, is averaging 18 points a game, uh, six, uh, six, point, uh, six assists, only shooting 33.8% from deep. And for a guy who is a, an automatic two points from the free throw line, only shooting 67% from the free throw line. His numbers are up, but his free throws are, are, are tanking. Can you guys explain what's going on with Malik Monk at all? 
No, if I could, I'd be, you know, I'd be a lot richer than I am and I'm not very rich. So, uh, yeah, the free throws, how do you explain that? You know, I mean, in like the last game, you know, he's been an 80 some percent of his life. Uh, a lot of good shooters do have free throw shooters have, a, you know, stretches. They don't, I'm not sure they have quite like he's had them, but, but I, uh, yeah, his his game and and it and I'm a big fan as you guys know of him. I mean, he, he's a competitor, but I think he's let defensively let things slide a little bit. Uh, you know, I think he turns them all over too much, uh, trying to make more plays, and he's got out of his lane a little bit there. And and then I think at the end of games, I think both he and Fox probably get into too much dribbling. You know, I mean, they they are probably more guilty of uh, getting the team out of what they're good at than anything. You know, the, the ball movement becomes dribble movement. And uh, I don't think the Kings benefit from that per se. Tony, what have you seen from Monk uh, of late? I'm hoping it's just what happens to volume scorers off the bench a lot of the times. Like you kind of, you score some, that's, that's his job. His job is to score. And he's, he's a, uh, like a home run type NBA player where he'll take threes from five feet beyond the arc early in the shot clock. And when enough of those go in and he's having, he's had an incredible year, the confidence is sky high, but you know, it, it takes Steph Curry to make those at a consistent level that you can afford to have happen all the time. So I think Monk is just, he's been feeling himself all year and you're kind of seeing the inevitable slump when a, sh a shooter is taking that many difficult shots. They're not always going to go in. So at least for now, since it hasn't been very long, I'm choosing to think this is just a, a slump that any volume shooter score in the NBA can go through and his decision-making can be tweaked in a way to maybe take some more open looks, some easier plays, not always trying to go for the home run to kind of get his numbers to come come back to a to a level that makes him a very efficient and good player like he's been all year. But I think there's like a your confidence gets so high when you're a player like Monk. He's been having the best year of his career that you think you're just going to make every shot and every pass all the time. And that's just not how it works. So I, he, he probably needs some coaching and uh, some some reconfiguring of his decision making and what the Kings want him to do in the offense. But I'm not too worried about him. I think he'll be fine. You know, I, I think of all the. Uh key guys and he is certainly one of them i think he is the most likely and part of his strength but he'll get out of his lane a little more than anybody else you know and uh you know and there again i think probably coach brown needs to kind of maybe be a little more involved in uh lane configuration <laughs> <laughs> jerry i'm curious for a guy who uh you see him miss a couple of clutch free throws that wind up the Kings wind up losing a game in overtime against the Bucks um, in which Monk could have put that game away with, with the free throws that he missed. Uh, and then two games later, he goes one of six from the free throw line. Uh, again, he is an 80 plus percent free throw shooter for most of his career. What do you say to him as a coach to like, get him out of, I don't know if it's the yips or just, he's kind of slumping or how do you, how do you coach a guy who's suddenly in his own head that much? Well, I certainly wouldn't do anything to, to question him. I mean, I would just say, Hey, you're a great shooter. Get out there and work through it. You know, get extra practice in, work through it, take the same shots, make sure they're good shots. When you're at the free throw line, just assume you'll make them and make them. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, just remind him of who he is and what he's always been. Uh, you know, and, and I, I haven't said that. I, I mean, if there's ever a guy that probably doesn't need pep talks, it's Malik Monk. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think more than anything else, you can say, 
you know, this might help you if you kind of get a little more selective here and there type thing. Uh, but, but anyway, yeah, I think, I think Malik, uh, you know, Malik's uh, been to the county fair and he's rode every ride. He'll, he'll be fine. Uh, we'll, we'll move through to, uh, to Keegan Murray, who um, since, since uh, January 3rd, we're, we're looking at 19.4 points per game, 6.4 rebounds. He's just a hair under a block and a steal a game shooting 43% from deep. Uh, what have you guys seen from Keegan lately in his kind of offensive explosion? Well, he, every game, he kind of starting to show you a little more aggression, uh, ways of scoring, different ways of scoring. Uh, he's the Kings, you know, best individual defender for the truth is, you know, and plays really dedicates himself on that end very well. Uh, what I've seen him is he's, he's a young damn star that, uh, you know, just, just so thankful that he's playing for the Sacramento Kings, you know, no off court stuff. Great kid works hard, fits in, fit into a fault early in his career. Now he's finding out, Hey, I'm as good as these guys. And, uh, he's the kind of guy that could be a 20 point scorer consistently for five, seven years, you know, I would be surprised if that doesn't happen. Tony, what about you? What have you seen from Keegan of late? Yeah, this is the Keegan that I think we expected at the beginning of the season. Like this is the second year jump Keegan Murray that we, that we hoped would get here. And to me, he arrived since we last recorded this, this, this podcast, he's been their third best player to me. He's elevated over Monk over this recent stretch, as far as, you know, who the best players on this roster, if you were to list them out, uh, he's been vital in some of these games where Fox hasn't had it offensively. And if I could nitpick one area where I'd like to see him do more of, as Jerry talks about him, like growing into a star, I'd like to see him get to the free throw line a little bit more. He's only getting to the line two times a game, which if I'm thinking of like the elite wings in this league, I don't know how many of them are only getting to the free throw line 1.8 times a game. And he doesn't take it to the rim very often, which is okay for the most part. He's such a good shooter, but I feel like that's almost the last thing to unlock those last you know, four or five points per game onto his his stat sheet to get him into the 20-plus point-per-game score is getting to the line a little bit more. And that should hopefully come with time just by getting respect from the officiating. But I also think he can play with a little bit more force to the rim. But he's getting there. He's on the road to, to being that guy. So I'm very happy with his play recently. Okay, final player I want to talk about right now is uh, is Kevin Herter. Uh, this is a guy who's kind of had an up-and-down season and... and uh, I keep waiting for like, we keep going, Oh, Kevin Herter's come back. And then like, there's two or three games where he's absolutely lays an egg. And just in this recent stretch, uh, we're seeing, you know, points of like two, three, four points. He had to sit out a game. Um, then you also see 26 points in that Milwaukee game where oh he's back. And then uh, the, the Pacers game, he, he scored 31 points. Are we to expect this for an entire season of Kevin Herter or are we going to see him, settle down after the trade deadline if the Kings don't move him. Is this is this one of those things as he gets closer that he's thinking about, oh, I am getting traded and I'm not sure what to do? Or is Kevin Herter just an inconsistent player right now for the Kings? Mm. Well, I, I think he's like, uh, to some degree, I think he's inconsistent because of the how he scores his points. I mean, when your your game is built around the three, which it is, you know, nobody makes the threes every night. Now, uh, he was a lot more consistent on that area last year. And I, I think he'll get back to, to that level. I mean, he's not as bad as he's been and he's not uh, certainly not as good as he's been these last couple few games either. 
Uh, I, the one thing I do like is is the guy really is starting to show some defensive chops and and he rebounds and he gets good rebounds. You know, I mean, and so give him his due. It, is is he a guy that you would be afraid to trade? I, no, if you got something you you like better, but uh, I, I don't. Uh, you know, I think Kevin Herter's a guy that you could have on your team. If you got good enough to where he was a seventh or eighth man, you'd feel a lot better about yourself. Tony, how do you feel about Kevin Herter right now? Herter's playing uh, re- really well right now to me. And I, I think this is something Jerry has said on this podcast a few times, but like the, the best way a coach can kind of motivate a player or get him to start doing more of what you want him to do and less of what you don't is by pulling minutes and Herter got benched for Duarte, and since he came back into the starting lineup, he's been a starter for five games now. He's shooting 45% from three in those five games. It's a small sample size, but he's rebounding well. He's even almost at a almost at a block a game, not quite over the last five. I don't expect that to continue, but he's averaging a steal a game. He's been more active. So to me, you know, Mike Brown kind of pulled his minutes back. This wasn't working, gave him another shot. And over the last five games, he's been very good as a starter. And I, I say that to say I, I wouldn't mind um, seeing Mike Brown try the same thing with Harrison Barnes to get him to wake up a little bit, kind of pull some minutes back, pull some roll back, tell him what he needs to do to get get back into his good graces or or not even that harsh, but just this is what we need more from you, Barnes. And we're going to kind of have you watch it from the bench for a while and see if you can get there because um, it worked for Herter. I think Herter is finally kind of rounding into the player he was last year for the Kings. You know, I was telling, I was telling somebody on that. I think this is one of the other podcast things I was doing, but, uh, you know, they're talking about Herder and it looked like he was pissed, you know, being benched and, you know, not playing. I said, yeah. I said, you know, how would you feel being benched for Herte or, <laughs> or, or Duarte? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, if you're, but that, you know, but I th- like Tony said, I think it worked, you know, I mean, uh, so Anyway, I guess I'm probably a little harsh on Duarte, but not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Jerry, I guess uh, the only because Tony brought him up real quick. Is there anything that Harrison Barnes can do that will eventually get him benched? Like, is there any bit of production that he could eventually get swapped out for Trey Lyles? Or is he just stuck there as the starter? Evidently, unless he's got some pictures of coach brown doing something i don't know <laughs> I, I mean we might have to get an investigation going but i mean i i just think it would be better i think lyles would be better and i think harrison would be better it's like tony pointed out i i think harrison might be really be ready for that sure. you know i mean uh you'll be a little more versatile playing a couple of spots uh you know he's certainly a good guy, good teammate, but, uh, and I think it, it would work for Trey Lyles. I think if you give him consistent minutes, I think his play would get better. I don't think he's the answer there, but, uh, right. if you don't have the answer, he's closer to the answer. <laughs> okay. So, uh, before we get to the four ugly ones, uh, let's, let's talk about a win, uh, uh, that the Kings had recently. Um, I'm, I'm talking about the Detroit game. Uh, we joke in the Kings fandom that if a marquee player for an opponent is missing, the Kings are losing that game. And Cade uh, Cunningham didn't suit up, and the Pistons promptly scored 47 in the first quarter and were up by as much or over 20 points in the second quarter. The Kings wound up winning that game by 21 points, but I, I need you guys to explain that one to me a little bit. 
uh, take me through it. Uh, was this the Kings just hand waving, you know, not taking the Pistons seriously, or or what was the deal with the the Kings in that Pistons game in the first half? Well, I mean, just from watching the game, uh, I, I came upon a, 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 I think, a clue. The Kings really are not very good on the defensive end. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if anybody else has noticed that, so I hope I'm not the first one to point that out. But but when they're not really engaged, and which like the Pistons' first quarter, then it's uh, they're disastrous. And we've seen how many quarters have we seen like that? Now we've seen quarters where they're really engaged and active, and and they're I won't say good, but they're it, it's competent. It's competent defense. We, we've seen that. So that's part bugs me the most, uh, the gap between just awful, awful defense and, and competent. If the team could just uh, get to the point where they're close to that competent level about every quarter, I, I think, you know, you'd see the, the, the blowout stuff go away. Tony, did you see anything in the, with that Pistons game? Nothing beyond, you know, kind of what Jerry said. This team is capable of playing very good basketball, and this team is unfortunately capable of looking atrocious on the basketball court. Like, we, we're going to get to the Phoenix game, but they were great for 43 minutes, and the last five, they looked horrific. And to me, it was like, all right, this is just the Kings doing their hor- the horrible version of the Kings play the first quarter in Detroit, and luckily the Pistons are bad enough that you can have a horrible quarter like that and still win. But it's a trend that makes this team uh, difficult to have confidence in, especially when the playoffs come around. Because if you're if you're that sort of weak, and I think Jerry said they're, they're dogless, if you're that dogless, um, I have very little confidence when it comes playoff time. And I think this is just another very minor example of that. The swings of good to horrible that this team has is just not that of a playoff team that I would be confident and comfortable in. So that was the Detroit first quarter to me. That's like an unacceptable quarter, but that's who this team kind of is, unfortunately. One other point about that game was I I enjoyed seeing the clip going around of uh, uh, Jalen Duran, who I love as a player, basically stating that it wasn't that difficult to guard Damana Sabonis. Uh, Sabonis in that game had 37 points, shot uh, 16 of 21 from the field, had 10 rebounds, 13 assists, three steals, um, hit all of his free throws, hit hit one of one from the three-point line. Uh, pretty much, I think he missed one shot in the first half, and he took 10 or 11 shots. Um, I, I have nothing to say other than, like, Jalen Duren, if that wasn't difficult guarding him, maybe you should try to play better defense? <laughs> or, <laughs> or I don't know what being hard would be. Like, I... <laughs> That that was a that was just a, a jaw dropper for me. Okay, so we'll we'll roll over to uh to some of these losses now. We got those four straight losses that I want to talk about only because they're all a little bit different. Um, again, we talked about uh if if the opposing team is missing their marquee player, uh, Philly had no Embiid and it was absolutely no problem for the Sixers. They took a nineteen point lead into halftime. They never really gave it back. Tobias Harris scored thirty plus. Tyrese Maxey looked like an all star. Guys, what can you tell me about uh, that game in, in Philadelphia? Well, uh, Kings really just didn't show up. I, I don't believe anybody for the Kings had a decent game, as I recall. I, I, I mean, there were probably exceptions. But uh, and, and to, 
I will say this, Tyrese Maxey is an all-star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's he's one of those, you know, young guns that's really coming on. But uh yeah, that was that was just no contest from the start to the finish, I thought. I mean, that was one of the King's worst outings. And like you said, without Embiid, you certainly expected, you know, a chance to win the ball game. Yeah, that game was over by by halftime. The Kings just never had it. And to me, it was it was an example of the 76ers doing a lot of the things that the Kings never do and, and really aren't capable of. I mean, that team attacks the rim. They get to the free throw line more than anyone else. They get more steals than everyone else. They're a very good defensive team. So they just took everything the Kings don't do and and hit them with it for 48 minutes. And it was, you know, no Joel Embiid. There was no issue there. The 76ers still just, by the way they play, took the Kings completely out of their game. Most interesting part of the game there was uh, watching uh, Bobby Jackson and Brian Gates, two former King's assistance. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, it's not, the, you know, but they to, uh, they're good guys and I'm glad to, they're where they are and doing well. But uh, anyway. I, I was going to only mention, Jerry, that the only other thing of note was our boy Mo Bamba played. Uh, yes. Four or six from yep. the field, four blocks and 11 points in 20 minutes. Uh, it, it had me missing him. I tell you, I mean, there, there's something there. I don't know if I uh, really, I mean, there is something there. I, I, I think he's kind of one of those guys too, the, for the right price, which would be very low probably now that'd be, it'd be the kind of guy you'd want to take a risk on and have a look at because uh, he can shoot and he can block shots and he's young still. One other thing from that game. Now that you mentioned a specific player, will Nick Batum, was picking up Fox full court on several possessions. And I was like, how come this 37-year-old guy can pick up Fox full court and the Kings can't pick up opposing guards full court? If Batum is doing it at 100 years old, then someone on this roster should be able to do that too. That was the only other thing that I noticed. Well, yeah, that you know, that's I, I, that's been a kind of a little pet peeve of mine. This is a team that should be picking up, you know, just about all the game or picking up three quarter court, just automatically because you want to get the game off the boards. Uh, you want to uh, try to get them to use up some clock and rather than, boy, we just so often just let them trot right down there and uh, thank you very much. Now we'll start our offense, you know. <laughs> yeah. Tony, just, just to add to your point, not only did Nick Batum pick up Fox full court, but his legs weren't tired at all. That man was 100% from the field. He hit four threes. He only took four threes. That man, Darren Fox did not make him feel him at all the entire game. And it was, uh, I completely forgot about that right until you mentioned it, that Batum was picking him up, not tired in the least. That 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 was a, that one hurt. That one hurt a little bit. Well, yeah, too, that, that was a game, too, you know, where you got Fox and Sabonis, your two main, neither one were any good. I mean, Sabonis had a decent stat line, but it was a useless stat line. (laughs) (laughs) Empty stats on that one. Yep. Okay, so we'll roll through to Milwaukee. Um, Maybe the best three quarters of basketball the Kings played all year, followed by a a rough fourth quarter in overtime that featured Malik Monk and Darren Fox both missing free throws that would have put the game away, uh, followed by a desperation buzzer-beating game winner by Damian Lillard that the second it left his hands, you knew it was going in. Um, could you guys describe uh, how you felt during that Milwaukee game? Maybe the first three quarters versus the, the last, the last two, uh, and maybe then explain, uh, what happened in the fourth quarter in overtime to the Kings? 
Well, it was one of those games, a really interesting game. You know, the Bucks are very good. And, and I thought, boy, what a great comeback by the Kings. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I thought, geez, this is, you know, Milwaukee Bucks on the road, came back, had a chance to win. Uh, you know, I'm very proud of them, you know, and certainly an overtime take, you know, kind of take the game to them. Here again, has kind of has the game and can't make free throws. So, I mean, it's just going for, you know, the true ro- roller coaster of being a fan. That was that game, you know, all the good things you want to think about a team you saw. And then the, at the end, the bad things, you know, and of course it still took uh you know, a, a miraculous shot by Lillard. We know he can do that, yeah, yeah. but but that's not a 50% shot or even a, a 40% shot. I mean, but he is Damian Lillard, and yeah. there you go. But if you make your free throws, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, this is another loss. I mean, this is a, this is a pretty good loss if you want to, you know, good loss, bad loss. I was okay that the Kings lost this game because the Bucks are so good. But the one thing that stuck out to me is there was kind of this narrative about the Kings where, well, this team is really hard to beat when they shoot the ball well. And the Kings shot 42% from three in this game. And it still wasn't enough to win because their defense <laughs> is what it is. And that's kind of how my optimism for the season is starting to crater. And I'll, we'll talk about it in another one of these games too. But the Kings shot the ball very well. And their offense was pretty good. And it still wasn't enough. So to me, it's, you know, we keep talking about it, but I just need more defensive players on this team or better defense in general because even when your offense is killing it, uh, you you don't win. You don't win those games because um, the defense just falls apart. We'll mention too, um, Mike Brown got ejected this game. He is uh, $50,000 poorer uh, after going after a ref. Um, he later whipped out a laptop in the post game to address the ref's double standard and calling fouls on Fox. Uh, guys, uh, talk to me a little bit about Mike Brown getting ejected and how you guys felt about that. Well, I, I think he had definitely some legitimate complaints. Uh, I mean, certainly a couple of not no calls on Fox were, were you know, they missed. Uh, and I think uh, now the only thing I would say about his ejection, I mean, he came close to being suspended. Yeah. Uh, I think a real, real credit to, I think, Monk and some players that got to him. And, uh, you know, I know you can, you know, I know how it is to lose it. And he really lost it. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the players uh, really did save him from himself there. And then, you know, and then after that really played extremely well in that, whether the technical meant anything one way or another, I don't think you should ever attach much to those things, but uh, the team did really, uh, it did kind of change momentum. I think uh, maybe if nothing else, more momentum on the, uh, on the buck side. You know, that kind of shook them up a little bit, maybe, to see a berserk man out there. (laughs) (laughs) Tony, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I was surprised he didn't get suspended, and I have no issue with getting ejected. I mean, I I don't know. I can't. If I was an NBA head coach, I'd get ejected all the time because the officiating is so frustrating. So I totally get the in the moment reactions. I was a little bit annoyed, and this is me. I'm in my Grinch era right now, I guess. But his post game laptop. Uh, display if you guys saw that was funny but I kind of get frustrated when I see that thing because he was talking about how like he was pointing out specific plays and going like look at this this was a five point swing and this and that and I just want to tell like I that kind of I'll call it whining when your team plays no defense to me that is just I don't I don't like any sort of excuses on the officiating let the fans 
use the officiating excuses. But when you're out there saying, hey, this is a five point swing and this and that, I understand the frustration. I just don't want to hear it when the team that you're coaching is so unphysical and does not play defense and has, you know, 10 hundred things that are more uh, adversely affecting them than the officiating. But I get it. NBA officiating is terrible. I just don't want to hear that when your team is kind of underperforming and there is no defense and now you're taking it to the post game with a laptop and showing plays. Very funny, but I just was kind of a little little frustrated by that. Jerry, was there ever a chance uh, for you? I mean, I mean, I guess you couldn't, uh, when you played, you couldn't have whipped out a laptop. You'd have had to drag a whole desktop up to the front <laughs> yeah. there. But have you, ever, have you ever had to whine so much that you, you pulled out props in order to, to argue your, uh, your sensibilities? No. Uh, yeah, like you say, it had to be a chalkboard or a videotape. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I was kicked out a couple times and, and deservedly so. Uh, I had no, you know, I, I should have been kicked out. And uh, and I was kicked out because I thought the refs missed some calls. And, and looking back, they did. But it's like Tony said, you know, I mean, I was doing probably what Coach Brown does a little bit. I was begging, uh, you know, rather than our team playing well enough. But I knew that, you know, for us to win, we had to have not only all the good call, we had to have every call. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we needed them to miss the calls on the other team type thing. And so anyway, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I think probably Coach Brown hurt himself there a little bit with officials. That's not the kind of thing that that gains you with them, you know. It's uh, so so. It's like the uh, I think the coach for uh, God, who was it that went on a on a rant? Uh, oh, was uh, it Toronto? Toronto? Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. Well, you, much of what you said may be true. Yeah. Uh, but I guarantee you it didn't. Your your status didn't improve. Okay, so we'll roll through the Phoenix uh, Kings came out playing a little mad. They uh, they led most of that game. They led by 22 points with less than nine minutes remaining. Um, and then a nearly indescribable collapse happens. Um, I'm going to let you guys describe the indescribable collapse. Um, how did the Kings take their eye off the ball this badly? What what happened that facilitated that Sacramento lose this game outside of Grayson Allen becoming the greatest shooter that the world has ever seen? You know, one thing, actually, Grayson is among them. I tell you what, that guy, you know, last few years, he's one of those terribly underrated players because he is a shot maker and fits in with isolation guys very well. Uh, Yeah, just a couple things there. I mean, how do you get beat 20-some in eight minutes? Uh, I I don't know. Uh, I mean, the Kings got away totally from what they were doing on offense. And defensively, they allowed a isolation team isolate, uh, you know, with especially with Durant and all. And, and uh, yeah, it was really, really unbelievable how I thought both, uh, especially Fox and Monk got into the, uh, the you know, the dribble game, uh, I think, more than anybody. And, uh, and all of a sudden, the offense just, just stopped being a legitimate offense, I think. In the last few minutes, there a guy like Keegan, I think, had one shot. I don't know if he even touched the ball once. Yeah. Uh, I think Savonis had one shot. Of course, he made it. Uh, Keegan made his. I mean, so it, it, it kind of became, you know, 
we started being just like them. Okay, they're an isolation one-on-one -on -one team. And so we're going to be, and uh, guess what? They're way better at it, yeah. uh, way better at it. That's their style. And uh, so very disappointing. I mean, it was actually, I mean, nicest way. It was a gag job. I mean, really. And, and you hate to say that. I mean, not the guys aren't trying, but, but they're, you know, the level of, uh, of play was just uh, for eight minutes was about as, and you saw it coming. Yeah. You know, now I, I sat there and white was, you know, I'm getting pissed, you know, but I'm thinking, okay, boy, momentum's gone here, but you know, you, they can't make up all 20. We're going to end, end up winning this game by five, five or six. That's, but then that shows what I know. Anyway. Tony, how about you? Yeah, the whole, uh, I think they're up uh, 17 points with five minutes left and, and blew the game. And the whole time I was, same with Jerry, I was going, they can't blow this game. And then I was going back to, of course they can blow this game because that's is this team has these swings where they're so good and so bad. And it's, it's frustrating. I mean, they just they they lost their urgency, and when another team finds theirs, and we saw this, I think at the end of the Pacers game, the Kings finally like clicked with some urgency with the last minute, and they were pressuring. They got steals. Keegan was getting open dunks, and they just ran out of time to snowball that game to a victory. But the Kings lost their urgency with too much time remaining. The Suns found theirs, and once a team has momentum like that, it is so hard to get it back when you've been playing lazy for the last you know, quarter, they just, they could not get back into gear. And um, yeah, it was, you know, we saw that we talked about the Detroit game. This was that condensed to five minutes where it was a total collapse of urgency and execution. And the Suns are good enough to win a game in five minutes. And the Kings are unfortunately not good enough to hold on to a 17 point lead. And I think again, speaks to their defense. Um, offense execution could have definitely been better, but you give up 17 points in five minutes when you can bleed the clock. Like that's unacceptable level of defense to me. So um, this is who, who the Kings are. They, they, they'll be very good and they'll be very bad. Okay. So we'll, we're going to roll into the last one. Um, this is an Indiana Pacers game. That's uh, um, Tyrese Halliburton uh, sitting out. Kings still got to uh Kings fans still got to boo their, uh, their favorite shooting guard, a buddy healed. Uh, Kings gave up 70 points in the first half. This is a game that was pretty much the TJ McConnell show. He he had tw uh, 20 points, 10 assists. Uh, the, the guy just was cutting up the Kings defense the whole night. Um, talk to me a little bit about a, a Indiana Pacers game that was getting away from the Kings. And then as Tony kind of alluded to earlier, the Kings in those last couple of minutes suddenly locked down on defense, made it interesting, and then still ultimately ended up losing. What did you guys think of that Pacers game? Well, very disappointing. Uh, obviously, uh, Pacers just controlled that game. And as you say, the T.J. McConnell show, uh, as I said earlier, I didn't know that he was the reincarnation of Steve Nash and John Stockton put together. But the Kings made him look like that. And, and he's good. He's a good backup guy, about as yeah. good as, you know, as you ever, will ever need. Tough and he's tough and plays that way. But. Uh, how you know how you're just going to allow him to get where he wants to go consistently which they did and then I don't know that I've ever seen so many guys who uh, have not had a chance to play much just come in and look like stars yeah, yeah. you know I mean they were you know and I'm not saying they're not really good young players but boy oh boy do we does do the Kings what do they have that makes guys who haven't proven themselves 
looked like the second coming. And, uh, you know, but, you know, but, but anyway, really disappointing, very disappointing. And as Tony pointed out too, the, it almost pissed me off, to be honest, that, that they got back in it by really getting after defensively and pressing. It's like, well, could you have done that sooner? Uh, you think? So anyway. Tony, how'd you feel about that Pacers game? I, I mean, I obviously didn't feel great. I thought the defense there was almost as bad as we've seen with players getting wide open runs to the rim over and over again, back cuts, just no awareness on defense by this team whatsoever. And that's, I mean, it's frustrating that it just keeps getting worse. And at some point, someone's going to have to stop, stop it. Like, call, like throw in the towel, call the fight, just stop scoring on us over and over again is kind of how I started to feel towards the end of that game. But the Pacers did, Pacers have the number one ranked offense in the league this year. And to Jerry's point, they reminded me of how good the Kings looked last year, where it really didn't matter a lot of the time who was on the court. Everyone knew how to cut, where to cut off Domas. They were getting open shots. Like they just ran their offense, whether it was McConnell or Halliburton, they just did their thing. Didn't matter who checked in. And it really did remind me of the Kings of last year who, you know, it seemed like whatever Terrence Davis, whoever they're throwing in there is going to kind of fit in and contribute offensively because their system was so efficient. Um, the Kings aren't that offensive team anymore this year, but the Pacers are. And I, I think that's like, a, it was a great example of how good they are as an offensive team because their role players stepped right in and it was like, they didn't miss anybody. Yeah. If you'd have told me this is a game where Kevin Herter was going to score 31 points and Keegan Murray was going to score 27 points. I'd have just assumed the Kings blew the lid off of the, the Pacers. Fox had 24 Sabonis had 21. This was one of those games that like, it was inexcusable to lose with without Halliburton and and the bench gave you basically nothing the whole night. Yeah. Um Jerry, you you mentioned uh being annoyed that the Kings got back into it. This is one of those ones for me that it was like, don't do this. Like don't don't come all the way back. And if you're going to like if if the Kings had won that game, I think I'd have left more pissed off than when they lost. <laughs> and so I was almost I was almost relieved to see the the, the L at the end of the night because it was like uh, you could have played like this the whole night and you didn't. Yeah, I would have. I probably wouldn't have been pissed if they won, but I would have, you know, it would have been frustrating because, you know, I would have said, well, they got the win, but they didn't deserve it. Yeah. And uh, and that's kind of where I looked at that. And, you know, if I'm, you know, if honestly, if I'm Phoenix uh, against the Kings, I'd said the same thing. If I was a Phoenix coach, they got the win, but they didn't really deserve it by as poorly as they played for, mm-hmm. for most of four quarters. Uh, they had to have a lot of help. You know, I, I, I just one thing here, see what you guys think. It, it's been bugging me for a while. And you've heard me, you know, kind of give my opinions on. I'd really be interested in your opinions as well as any of the Kings Herald people out there, which I know really follow the game. But I've always been, I'm convinced and, and, uh, and I'll stay convinced and I'll always be convinced that in the last five minutes of a game, you need to have a little more structure. The game changes. It gets more physical. The refs will swallow their whistles a little bit. So uh, you got to know where you're going to get some shots. Who's going to get them? I mean, and I just think that's, I really believe that's where the Kings run into some trouble. You know, you can be nice free flow and blah, blah, blah. But now all of a sudden the game changes in crunch time. Yeah. It always has. And I believe it always mm-hmm. will. And and I just think if just to have two or three go-to kind of plays to get shots for certain guys, you know, to get a shot for Keegan Murray, 
uh, to make sure that he gets a good clean look. Doesn't mean, mean he'll make it, but just to know that, uh, or have, and you can control some of that. You really can, or, you know, with counters and all that. So, yeah, anyway, that's my feeling. I'd like to know what you think, because I, I just think that Coach Brown, and I hate to second guess him, but I think at some point you've got to do that. Yeah, I think to a certain extent, last year was such a whirlwind and Fox was in the running for clutch player of the year that it almost felt like they just let him go. Just like the last five minutes of the game, Fox, go do your thing. Let's go earn that clutch player of the year award. And it worked. I mean, he was he was absolutely phenomenal in those last few minutes. And this year, it feels like the, the shine has worn off of that a little bit. And I don't know if it's Fox nursing injuries or just Fox not being a, an absolute superstar. But there is there are those times, Jerry, where it's like, just, just run a play. Or like, if Monk's out there, it's Monk or Fox, Monk or Fox. And it becomes very, very predictable. Uh, I don't know how many times it's been like, Damanis Sabonis just doesn't touch the ball for the last three or four minutes of the game. And you, you're right, Jerry. I'm incredibly frustrated by that at times. And especially now that the Kings are losing more than they're winning in those last four or five minutes, at least it seems like they, they a hundred percent, they, they need to run something with a little bit more structure to it. And I, I just think maybe they're still like being pulled by Fox a little bit, or they want that clutch player of the year, or they Fox has done it so well for so long, a whole season last year that they're just clinging to the hope that he'll regain that. And he just, he just isn't that this year yeah yeah that's a i mean to me that's almost it exactly i mean really fox was great uh but i think they're again team scout and uh i i think you see you know teams packing the paint a little bit more against him and so well you can't quite get the exactly the same plate we've seen how many you know he's had shots blocked he's he's it's, i think it's tougher on him and 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 that to me that's not his fault. I mean that's the way the team has chosen to play. Well, I think they need to choose another way. Uh, you know, help him out to where he draws a lot of attention. Well, don't you don't have to go make a play for yourself. Find find a way to get the ball moving. You know, with the extra coverage you're getting and things things of that nature. But I I do think that's uh, that that head in a nutshell. I think it's it becomes you know as well, it's Fox time. Well, it, you know, he's not Michael Jordan. And and so, you know, it, it just – and even Jordan uh, found Paxson and, and Kerr. You know, yeah. I mean, there's times you just can't – nobody's that good. And, and Fox is about as good as anybody. But I, I just – well, anyway, I just think that's something that really – they really need to do is to find a way – uh, to find their mismatches, find a, uh, basically ways to create switches and, and that sort of thing that, that that the players know that that's supposed to happen, not just may the defense may give you. I hadn't really considered this before, but it's interesting that Fox, like when Domas has the ball, players are moving a lot. When Fox has the ball, players are kind of clearing out a lot. And I Fox is not a great playmaker. He's an okay passer, but he's not a great play playmaker. So that the threat of a pass when Fox has the ball in clutch situations is not really there. So he, it probably is easier to defend him. Like he, when was the last time Fox made a, a clutch pass? Um, I'm sure he's done it. And I, I'm sure I can, if, he, if I think hard enough, I'll think of examples, but that's really, he's not really looking to pass in those moments, which is a good thing. And to Will's point, he was clutch player of the year last year. And we talked about, I remember in this podcast, 
how much players loved watching that and they loved deferring to Fox in those moments. So it's kind of, it kind of is ingrained in this team to let Fox do it, let Fox go. And it worked great last year. It's working less this year, but I do think his teammates could also move better with him having the ball and he can be a better playmaker in those moments too. So it's not always I'm looking for my own shot. You can run more through Fox if he is open to that and also just getting the ball to Sabonis more because he is your engine on offense for, you know, 40 minutes. And then in the last, in the closing moments of the game, he doesn't touch the ball as much. So running more plays that at least gets the allure of movement and more players getting involved would probably be helpful, whether it's moving off of Fox, moving off Sabonis, but let's less clearing out and, and making the pass be a threat. You know, one one little thing too is I think sometimes we, we forget about is like just little things like you know Fox has the ball trying to maybe make a play gives it up to Sabonis and then Sabonis gives it back now he's got a live dribble again, uh, yeah. just things of that nature just to give a little more movement to it because uh, mm-hmm. I mean as as opposed to just everybody getting out of the way and Fox go do it for us uh, you know just uh, anyway I mean just just like a pivot play, you know, uh, we're always for years, you know, guys throw it to them, they kick it out, double team goes away, you throw it back to them. And, and the defense doesn't have time to react as well. So uh, uh, it's a, uh, I mean, it's, there's little things that they could do and right now they need to do them. <laughs> How's that? All right. Last thing before we get to the Patreon question, um, the um the last little bit of King's news uh that that we should we should at least we, we discussed when she was hired, so we should discuss when she leaves. Um the Sacramento Kings announced on Friday that Anjali Ranadive, uh daughter of King's chairman Vivek Ranadive, uh has stepped down from her role as general manager of the Stockton Kings. Uh, she was hired seven months ago and has uh decided to focus her attention on her nonprofit Jaws and Paws, as well as go back to school to get her PhD. So the Stockton Kings um, are now being managed by somebody named Gabriel Harris, who's resumed the day-to-day responsibilities. Guys, do you have any? You guys, have any anything to say about Anjali Ranadive stepping down after seven months of the, being the Stockton GM? Well, if I'm on it there, I I know I better make some moves. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's not a lot you can say. No, Tony, anything? I mean, there's a lot you could say. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot I won't say, but I am. I'm. I am. I. When that news broke, I was happy. So I guess that's what I'll say. It made me happy that this era is over for now. I mean, her next job may be uh, King's GM in a few years yeah. down the line. So, you know, it could get worse again, but for now I'm just happy that this experiment, whatever you want to call it is over. And I hope she has an incredible uh, PhD run and has an amazing um, nonprofit that keeps her away from the team for a very long time. Okay. Tony, we're going to run over to you for the uh, Patreon question of the day then. Okay. Uh Every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons. You can submit questions at patreon.com slash King's Herald or the website or on Twitter. Um, You ask questions. We uh, forward them to Jerry and and answer them on the podcast. Any question that does not get answered on the main show here does get answered in our uh, Patreon exclusive Q&A that we record once a month. So keep submitting questions. If you don't hear it on this podcast, it's probably been answered on our Patreon. This week's question comes from Fossilized Flatus and... uh, Flattis asks, we see three very underperforming teams in the association in the association right now. 
San Antonio, Washington, and the Detroit Pistons. You've experienced the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat as an NBA lifer. Any words of wisdom towards these vastly different, differently directed franchises more than every dog has its day? Yeah, well, I I think that's a great question. And and I think with those three franchises right now, maybe you could even throw Portland in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that they're uh, they're rebuilding. Uh, Now, the the key is uh, some consistent plan to rebuild, you know, which which Mm -hmm. pieces do you have you need to identify those pieces and then you know obviously add to them i mean each of those teams have you know very few pieces and then do you have the uh, person that you can trust to uh, go through the process so to speak now you know in san antonio you even though they're very disappointing i think you know you've got coach popovich so that's that part and rc buford so that's very stable but uh, but so I, I think that's it as much as anything. It's just, yeah, those teams, just because you're bad doesn't mean you're going to be good. Uh, so, I mean, Washington's been going through the process now for a long time. <laughs> and, and they just changed the uh, chairs on the Titanic. And, and that's what you don't want to be doing. Uh, you know, you know, identify your good pieces, try to uh, have some level of uh, sameness age-wise you don't want to get a bunch of guys at the end uh you know it's not so you can't take guys somebody that'll help your young group a little bit like uh, houston's doing i think houston's on the right track just like we've seen oklahoma city uh really be on the right track and so those are great examples of, of how to do it so yeah it uh there is a thrill of victory and the agony of defeat and uh and sometimes even there's agony of victory sometimes in the NBA. Will, you are the uh, the tank general um, around here. So I, I don't know. I'm sure you have some some thoughts on how these three teams are taking their rebuild or some of them, like Jerry said, the Wizards have lasted maybe a decade now. Yeah, I think the guy asked for advice and my advice would be keep it up, guys. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I, I do think it's interesting that, I mean, of these tanking teams, uh, the Wizards GM, uh, Will Dawkins, he he comes from Oklahoma City. Uh, uh, he he worked under Sam Presti for a long time. Troy Weaver came from Oklahoma City, worked under Sam Presti. Uh, the Spurs uh, are where Sam Presti got his start. Like there is this weird, you know, kind of flow to it that I kind of go, oh, I, I see the I see the blueprint here for people as they um as they try to rebuild their teams. I think I think the Wizards are finally in a spot where like they got smart. They they'd been kind of in that no man's land the uh the seventh to 11th team in the east for for a decade and they finally got smart enough to go okay let's just bottom out now they are they are bottoming out they are the jordan pool kyle kuzma led team is rough that, that if if the kings had tanked uh instead of gone the direction that they went and it was kyle kuzma and jordan pool uh, even i would be questioning my beliefs i would be i would I would know the basketball gods were testing me. It would have been very, very hard. I would have been like, well, maybe, maybe an eight seed wouldn't have been so bad. But I, I think they, I think they know with Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma, those are assets. You know, Kuzma signed there. They will trade him for a few first round picks. It will work uh, eventually. I think Will Dawkins is on his way. Um, Troy Weaver, on the other hand, Troy Weaver is the, uh, you know, 
you've drafted a lot of talent and it is not working. And no matter how many Jaden Ivies and Cade Cunningham's you have, sometimes there is just a fly in the ointment. And I don't know if that's Troy. I don't know if that's something else, but it's not working so far. I think they are closer. I think they are a, a Houston move or two away from being decent only because Cade Cunningham is good. And Jaden Ivey is good. And Jalen Dern is very good, but something is not working there. Uh, including uh, their coach Monty, who uh, I think he, I think he's, he's swindling them. I think he'll get fired in two years and have a lot of money to do nothing for a while. And then the Spurs, <laughs> go ahead, Jerry, go ahead. Yeah. The, the only thing I thought, you know, you, you know, it's interesting to me is that it appears that the uh, Coach Popovich tree is a lot better than the Presti tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean we can that, count it as the same tree. It's just a, a thicker, a thicker tree. Well, some, well, some of the, sometimes those limbs get a little bit uh, thin, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, as they branch out. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I'd say because I mean, obviously Presti, I think, is just right at the top. And, uh, you know, working for small markets, uh, small pockets owners and, uh, and, you know, he knows how to do it. Yeah. So yeah. The, the other guys have yet to prove they do, you know, at all. Yeah. And I, I know that Brian Wright is the general manager of the Spurs, but I, I think that's still the RC Buford and, and, and Greg Popovich show. And, uh, I, I think they're fine. I mean, outside of playing Jeremy Sochin at point guard for as long as they did, I think they know what they're doing. I think they, I think they, they know they've got another couple of years left and they've got Devin Vassell. They've got Wembenyama. obviously they'll be okay. I think they're just kind of biding their time for another pick or two. So it's a fascinating watch as somebody who loves the tank. There's like three different versions of a tank going on here. And it's like watching three rats run for the cheese. It's like, okay, they're all doing it in different ways. We'll We'll see which one well, comes out on top there. Well, well, yeah, and, and you know, this year is who who's number one. I mean, yeah. I mean that's a so it's a different deal. I, I I'd have to say I'm really am disappointed in the Spurs, though. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the truth is that they're a worse team now than they were last year with sure. Wimbanyana. Now that's why you know to me, Holmgren's clearly the rookie of the year. Uh, sure. He's he's helped make a team better, and and you can't say that Wimbanyana has made the Spurs better. You know, he's more, more attention, more watchers, but yeah. uh, the record doesn't speak to that. Yeah, I, I don't see any reason why the Spurs shouldn't be right there with Memphis or even the Warriors at this point. They they could they could have eighteen wins if Victor Wembanyama is as life changing as he should be at this point. So yeah, yeah. Because of that, that, I kind of squint and go, maybe it's on purpose. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's a chance of that. I mean, I think because you, as I believe, I mean, with Popovich and R.C. Buford, they. Uh, you know, they, they know what they're doing. They really know what they're doing. And so uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if that team isn't quite a bit better next year. Uh, the only thing I'll add to, to this, these teams is maybe my favorite trade in NBA history happened um, this week where Marvin Bagley goes from the four win Pistons to the seven win <laughs> Wizards, which just is a very hilarious trade to, uh, to read. But also I will say for anyone left on Marvin Bagley Island in three games as a wizard. He's averaging 18 points, 10 rebounds, 50% shooting, 24 years old. If, if there are any Marvin Bagley believers out there, his start, the start his wizard's career has been pretty good. So I'll just throw that out there. Yeah, I do think it's, you know, it looks like it might work. You know, <laughs> he's playing center. I, I was, uh, 
I was laughing about it. I because I noticed I don't wish him any ill will. I hope he does well. But I said I'm just not at all sure it's not another kind of Purvis Ellison thing yeah. to where his his uh, contracts being is about to run out, and uh, and so he'll have a twenty and ten year like Purvis did, get a big deal at Boston, and never <laughs> turn. He, he, you know, he he had that uh, Purvis had that rare ability to just play when he needed a new contract. <laughs> Tony, that message was just for Marvin Bagley Jr. <laughs> yeah, That's the only person left on Marvin Bagley yeah. Island. So, all right, Jerry, we're gonna roll over you for the the Reynolds wrap up. What you got for us today? Well, I, I was reading, uh, of course, as I do uh, uh, consistently, the uh, uh, the Herald, and I was, I think it was a, a discussion about uh, Kyle Kuzma and some of the trade rumors. And this just struck me. I, I thought it was uh, uh, just classic and see what you think. But Rick Schmitz, who uh, <laughs> the best. obviously always has opinion, uh, yeah. very good opinions. But anyway, he had a quote there, and I, I probably laughed for a half hour on it. You know, I just had to go back to it once twice. He said, Kuzma has the mamba mentality, but the venom of an earthworm. <laughs> now that... <laughs> Now, now that is classic stuff yeah. right there. I don't care who you are. That was that was like that was like the old uh, quote that Tim Hardaway had about Billy Owens. He said, you know, they asked about somebody asked about Billy Owens. He said, Billy's got the heart of an ant. <laughs> I mean, those are so those are. But anyway, I, Rick Schmitz, I just got to give him his due there, man. That's that's big time stuff. Uh, fantastic good job rick that that was that's fantastic all right well for uh for tony and jerry i want to thank you guys for uh tuning into another episode um if you're listening to this on apple podcasts um you should give tony a lot of credit tony's been working really really hard to get that apple podcast feed back up and running hopefully it's working uh if you're hearing us on spotify you have no idea what the hell we're talking about then still give tony his props because he does a great job working behind the scenes here um we uh we want to thank you guys for listening to another episode. Uh, we want to let you guys know that we'll uh we'll be coming back with a uh, trade deadline episode here in a couple of weeks, and uh yeah, hopefully we'll see you then with a uh, new and approved King Squad. So go Kings, and we'll uh we'll see you in two weeks. Can't wait.